You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at JokesOnDrew. All right, today, it's kind of a special episode of the podcast. Uh, In just a few minutes, I'll be joined by my pal, Marvin Pittman, a great guy who I've had the pleasure of sharing the stage with many times before, uh, performing in cabaret and sideshow-style shows, uh, with me doing stand-up and him being uh, a quite amazing song and dance man uh, under the moniker Professor M. Uh, but, you know, he's a truly talented individual, and one of those talents is also as a gifted writer who has a long-standing blog series uh, called Blurred Vision. That's B-L-E-R-D, like Black Nerd, Blurred Vision on the website Forces of Geek, and one of his most recent pieces prompted me to bring him on today. Uh, He recently wrote a touching and insightful piece about the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, It was hard news to take for a lot of people who enjoyed his work as an actor, including myself. Uh, I was recording our last episode when uh, we got the news. Uh, It was shocking to hear, uh, you know, didn't know he was sick um, and thought he was going to have, you know, an incredible career in, in film building upon, you know, the tremendous body of work he had already laid out uh, with his successes, Black Panther or his uh, biopic work. And of course, his work with Netflix, um, like the five bloods that came out a couple months ago, the Spike Lee movie, uh, his first producer credit was with, uh, message from the King on Netflix. And, uh, he had a movie, Ma Rainey's black bottom coming out, uh, later on in the year. So, you know, he is becoming, uh, quite the name for Netflix, uh, as well as obviously around Hollywood. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, sad to hear of his passing. And, you know, after reading Marvin's piece, I kind of, you know, I wanted to know so much more about Chadwick Boseman and, how his passing had affected the black community, a community that has already been through so much, especially during the pandemic. So I'm glad Marvin could come on and share his wisdom with me and, of course, all of you. Uh, I urge anyone listening to this, check out Marvin's blog series, Blurred Vision on Forces of Geek, and uh, follow him on Twitter at Marvin Pittman. Uh, I also urge anyone who hasn't already to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. All right, let's get to it. Uh, it's a it's an incredible conversation, uh, a lot of insight that uh, you know surprised me uh, even as it was going on, and and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, let's get to it. Here it is. My conversation with Marvin Pittman about the life and legacy of Chadwick Boseman. Give a listen. 
All right. On the line, he's an entertainer and writer whose latest article under his Blurred Vision series on Forces of Geek is a touching tribute to the late Chadwick Boseman entitled Chadwick Boseman, King T'Challa, is gone and lives forever. It's my pal Marvin Pittman. How are you, sir? Oh, man, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm just living my life through the pandemic, but, uh, but you know, but hanging strong feeling okay. And, uh, and that's where I'm at. Yeah. It's a real pile on right now. Uh, you know, especially, you know, those in the black community and you expressed a lot of that in your article as well. Like it was, wasn't just kind of, a you know, revisiting, you know, Chadwick Boseman's influence or any of those things. It's kind of seeing it through your own personal prism as well as the prism of the black community and, and, representation and a lot of things that I found very interesting as well as, you know, message received, man. I, I obviously I can't be in your shoes nor obviously uh, Chadwick Boseman's family or friends, but you know, uh, your article definitely touched on a lot of issues that I think are very relevant and relevant to a man like this that, you know, really, you know, I, the more I read about him, the more I see that he is so steeped in not only uh, learning about his own culture, but kind of like doing the full history of, of, you know, the black experience through film and some of the, the things that he went through and the people that he worked with. Um, yeah. He, he carried a lot with him. Chadwick, you know, just, he, he carried a lot with him and, a lot of that is connected to the education that he received. Um, He was a graduate of Howard university, the historically black college in Washington, DC and studied theater there. And when you think about a place like that and how it's so steeped in history and culture and that he's in this program that put out people such as Ozzie Davis and Pearl Cleage and Amira Baraka and Felicia Rashad, who was his mentor and teaching him acting at the school. Um, you know, when you have all those different experiences and all those different kinds of lives and histories that are just being inculcated into you and poured into you alongside just art, an artistic mission and the way that it often funnels through black art and using art as representation and using art as conversation um, as a means to display dignity and power and pathos and all these sort of things, you know, especially in a culture that denies your intelligence or your ability to, to reason these things out. Um, All of that came to play in what Chadwick was able to do. And, when you think about his career and that even before Black Panther, playing Jackie Robinson and Thurgood Marshall and James Brown, it was like in a space such as that on top of just whatever his own like family life was and all those experiences, it's like he probably had a Jackie Robinson type figure around in his life by that point. He knew the ins and outs of Thurgood Marshall's life by that point. And there's, and there's enough of like the fieriness and all of the contradictions of someone like James Brown that he probably also saw and also, you know, also lived nearby and was able to inhabit. And it felt like 
he did his art with that mission in mind to capture all these facets and to use what he did, um, whether it was uh, the stage or the screen to elevate and to just pull people in to an experience. And by doing that, it makes everybody better. Yeah. And I think he really got that his success was unique and his role in Hollywood was unique uh, because he was quoted as saying basically like every year Hollywood is looking for that new white leading man or new white starlet that audiences will fall in love with, but they're not looking for the next Denzel Washington, Will Smith or Sidney Poitier. So for him to be as successful as he was, I think he really took advantage of that in a, in a very positive way to, to kind of do the kind of characters that he wanted you know, influence and character. I mean, he even started to produce films. He seemed to really have uh, a lock in on, you know, what he wanted to do for his legacy, especially if you look at the films that he did after he was diagnosed with cancer, you really started to see, well, not only that, it's so impressive, his, his output uh, after yeah. you get a cancer diagnosis, but to also really kind of hone in on, what he wanted to kind of leave his legacy with. How, how did you see that like post kind of like, what is it? 2016. How, how do you look at his career in that way? Um, I think some of the things that, that I, I took take from that are just interesting lessons about how to live your life, whatever talent you have. And especially if you have like a lot of different talents and you have and you're known for like being really good at school or being a certain sort of like book learning smart and it's so easy to turn that into an arrogance or it's so easy to make your success singular in a way but the lesson is you want to try to bring as many people along for the ride as you can and you think about the kind of greatness that says, no, like I'm holding the door open. Everybody come in, everybody come into the party. Right. Cause I don't know if I'm supposed to be here or not, but that doesn't matter because I'm here. Right. So while I'm here, let's just get in here and do all the things that we can do in this space. And, you know, when I think of somebody who modeled that for me in my life, Um, You know, I think about, you know, like my father or I think about in like, say, like uh, the professional world or, um, you know, celebrities and stuff like that. You think of somebody like a LeBron James, who for like a long time has been about, um, you know, as great as I am, like this is about like, how can I bring all these other people with me? Right. And, you know, to really like come in here and play and have a great time. And Chadwick really seemed to be about that and not just like personally, but also professionally, professionally. And in his performances, he was the kind of actor who lifted up everybody in a scene. Um, He challenged them to be better, but he did it in a way that that was like, it was like he just looked at you and like tapped you on the shoulder and said, come on, slugger you can do this. <laughs> yeah. You can like, you, you can be great. You, you can be great right alongside me. You can be great. 
And when you think about with Black Panther, Ryan Coogler like talked about how Chadwick would go into the auditions for all the supporting roles mm. and that Chadwick being there in his interactions with all the different actors who eventually were selected, that was like the key part. Um, like with Letitia Wright, who landed the part of playing his sister, that there was a part of them going through the dialogue where Letitia was so funny that she actually cracked uh, Chadwick. Like, she, <laughs> you know, like he broke character a little bit. Yeah. And everybody looked at that and said, yeah, that's the little sister that we want. Right. You know, someone who can get like underneath T'Challa's reserve and calm and stillness and all these things and be like, ah, you've got that going on. Like, uh, and you see that in like their first interaction when, uh, you know, he mentions that Nakia was there, you know, the, the old girlfriend, right. um, the old girl Friday, and, uh, and she starts get needling him about it. And he's like, oh, come on, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's like little things like that that made that movie feel so real um, while you're in this like most like fantastical of circumstances. And you could just see how he was able to do that with different actors um, throughout the movies that he made and how that translated to his life. And he always seemed to be a we, not me kind of guy. Right. Uh, because he had this versatility and he had this ability to do many different things and he didn't want it to intimidate people, um, which, which can happen. And, you know, I, I think about even just things in my life, where, you know, I was, I was good at school. I did like the Harvard thing and all of that. Um, and I work in sports television doing a job that like a lot of people say they would want to have. I don't know if you want to have it right now, but, <laughs> but it's a right. job I have. And, you know, but, you know, as you said, like I, I do a lot of like entertainment stuff. So I like I sing and I dance and all that fun stuff. And, and then, you know, I, I write and I do all these other things. And, the trick is always that you, you want people to feel a part of whatever you're doing. Right. And that like, I want people to feel like they're a part of what this is and that I couldn't do all of this if they weren't there. And, you know, and part of that is that I deeply respect an intelligence that's about synthesis. Mm. It's about being able to take different elements from different places and be able to put them together into a story or into a, a narrative or into some sort of like package that otherwise you wouldn't think was there and right. being able to draw the connections between things. And it just makes things even more real. It makes things even more powerful. And Chadwick seemed to, to really understand that. And to understand what he wanted to do, understand what his mission was. I mean, this was a guy who was writing like critically acclaimed plays in like 2005. Right. Um, that were like put up in Chicago and people thought like, oh, he's going to be the next great playwright. And then he goes off and does all this other stuff. Sure. And, and uh, you know, so it, to me, it's always about being able to bring people in. And that's an amazing uh view of greatness and it's clear that that is something Chadwick did yeah and 
you know, you spoke about his background with theater that I think a lot of what he did in his background there definitely lent to how, how well his ascension went and how much of a team player he was and how he understood actors. I mean, he, he went from the writing side so he can understand the process of kind of adapting the words to screen or, or to stage. And then he took direction courses where he was able to, and directed some short films of his own as well. And, and so he wanted to do that mainly so he could understand actors on a different level, not just kind of trying to take his own experiences, but try to see it on the whole, you know, try to right. see it from both sides. And, you know, you you mentioned his program that he went through with Felicia Rashad. I, I was interested. Uh, we were talking yesterday, uh, and you had brought up the story about how he interacted with Denzel Washington as well. Did you want to expound on that story too? I think it's a pretty fun one for for our listeners. Oh yeah. Um, so there was like a thing when he was studying acting at Howard, and uh, he got into. A, uh, a program that was happening, I believe it was at Oxford, and it was like yes. this American British theater actors experience training, whatever you have. Mm. And, you know, and, and I like interned at a theater at one point. So, like, these sort of things, like, they just happen. Like, like the acting school that was attached to the theater that I worked at, um, they were affiliated with like the Moscow theater and so they would send people over to moscow to learn more about acting and to train even further and so this was the thing that chadwick and a couple of other students had gotten accepted into but they didn't have the funds to travel to london and go and do this right and felicia rashad was their teacher and their mentor and so she reached out to a few contacts and she got them the money the money came from denzel washington and when you think about somebody like Denzel, who for close to two generations now yeah. um, has been this figure of capturing excellence on screen yeah. and portraying, you know, confident dignity and power um, on screen and, and also to do projects that had a wide range but to always come back to projects that were about blackness and black art um you know from the projects that he did with spike lee to now doing all the work with august wilson's uh uh canon um you know doing fences and and doing work on broadway with it and and now you have this uh this new ma rainey's black bottom adaptation of an august wilson play that's going to be on netflix starring chadwick yeah and you know you think about denzel as someone who very uh had who very much understood the responsibility that he had given you know his looks and his stature and his attitude and how he could carry the flag forward from somebody like a sydney poitier um but that he was able to do things that Sidney could not do in, mm. in his career. And, and Chadwick, it, it almost felt like, okay, this was the passing of the torch. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and all that before Denzel's own son showed up and started doing the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's, and even like 
it's it's uncanny like looking at John David Washington and looking at Chadwick Boseman and seeing enough of a resemblance there and you know and and so it's feeling like Chadwick is almost like this artistic son of a Denzel Washington right um and that that's something that that Chadwick himself I think understood and and accepted that he was part of a chain of art makers and especially black art makers and being able to to propel art forward and in doing so to propel the people forward. Right. And, you know, and, and so when it was time to cast T'Challa and his name got thrown out there, you know, I write about this in, in my piece a little bit, but it was, it was almost a joke because (laughs) it was like, this guy's already played Jackie Robinson and Thurgood Marshall and, and James Brown, like how many more like iconic black people can this guy play? Yeah. Like, has he run out of the real life ones to play? And now he has to play the fictional ones. (laughs) And like, as Hollywood can, they can't find any other person to do this. Like, this is the one guy we're going to keep going to the well for, but you watch him. And it's like, well, who else was it going to be, really? Right. Like, this guy who could play these three different kinds of, like, iconic, like, black manhood, like, who else was going to be able to contain those multitudes on screen in this way for the preeminent black male superhero? Right. Who else was it going to be? And, uh, yeah. They didn't have another guy that, that I don't think could have done it as well as he did. He, it seemed like he was perfectly suited to it and, you know, just had this like still dignity about him that somehow came off as cool. And yeah. it, it also had like a little bit of that, like TI, you know, articulate, but I'll grab somebody by the collar quick <laughs> sort of like energy to it as well. And you don't say this about a lot of people, but it's like, he was everything. And right. he knew that. And he still found a way to make that engaging to everybody around him. Yeah. I actually, uh, a lot of the things you said, I absolutely agree there. And, and I actually saw um, one of my favorite film critics, uh, Sean Fennessy had said that he kind of reminded him of like a, like a Robert Redford type, like kind of mm-hmm. where it was, you know, he has that fire, but he also has like kind of this stately class and dignity that just, you know, where he can play these roles that are larger than life, but with a calm that made them so grounded and, and really. Ooh, you just made me think of Robert Redford in The Sting. Oh, I love and, Robert Redford in this thing. I love Robert like, Redford in general, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like in general, he's favorite. great in everything. But like yeah. you know, that the way you're describing Redford, it's like yeah, that's what he was in the Sting, and and then now I'm thinking about like man, can you imagine if Chadwick Boseman had done a a new version of the Sting? I know it's been remade like a million times, but sure, yeah, you know, it's the kind of story that you can always keep remaking. Yeah, and Chadwick Boseman as a con man would uh. be fabulous to see so good yeah or even i i mean i wouldn't literally 
stop him from doing anything. The man had incredible range. But, like, even to think, like, if we're extrapolating on Robert Redford, but, like, even, like, an All the President's Men type thing, you know, something mm-hmm. with, you know, I could see him absolutely either as a journalist or trying to, like, you know, infiltrate a story or really grab onto something. But I can also see him on the flip side of it and also see him in, you know, kind of a, a politician role, too. Like, he he has such an incredible range that you can't pigeonhole him on anything and i i I definitely see what he wanted to do with his career i mean and even to more of his background like he he studied african-american history to it like prestigious places like the the schomburg center for research and black culture uh in in new york and like he could have literally done anything and i understand you know it hits a, a, a nerdy film buff like myself, but for yourself, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot in the piece, the pr- like the prism of what's going on right now mixed with the timing of this news. When this happened on Friday, kind of run through for me, like the emotions that you were going through and, and what this really meant to you and because obviously you mentioned it in the beginning of your article and I think that spoke volumes to me. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that Friday night I was, uh, I was, I was in my office, um, where I'm sitting right now and I was doing a little bit of work, um, because we'd gotten, I'd gotten some, uh, some updates on different sports schedules. So I had to send some things out and it was about quarter of 11 or so. And I go to grab my phone and I see the notification and all I see was Chadwick Boseman who played Black Panther and it said like D.I. dot dot dot. Right. Oh, and I'm like, what? This better say like diet. Like, right. <laughs> like please. Yeah. Or like dies in upcoming film or like something, please. Sure. And like I, I open it and it says like he's, he's dead. And I was like, this is a joke, right? Like, this has to be a joke. Like, you know, there's those uh, those Burger King commercials right now for the Whopper, and it's like two for five, and they have that one dude that's like at the drive-thru, and he's like, this is a joke, right? It's a joke in the bag. It's a joke <laughs> in the bag, right? And that's how I felt. I was like, this, this is a joke in the bag, right? Like, right. Isn't there, I'm going to open this up, and there's a joke in the bag. And yeah. I, like, start, like, Googling and – like all the articles are coming up and like, there's like the obit on variety. And I'm like, and like, that's when the truck hit the wall, man. It was, it was like this too, because last week was so hard that Sunday of that week, uh, which was August 23rd. Um, that was when the Jacob Blake shooting happened and, right. you know, shot in the back by police seven times. And, and he is still alive today but uh you know his his family says that he's paralyzed from the waist down and that this was the most explosive police involved shooting of a black person unarmed uh since george floyd who was killed with somebody's bare hands yeah and that and you know and and we had a video of that and we had video of of blake being shot and it felt like especially after these past few months of all the protest and all of the conversation um, and all of the moves and changes that have happened that have felt 
the closest I've seen in my life of pushing toward a true reckoning with racism and everything that has come from that and how much that has shaped the society that we live in and the America that we're in um, and how that's affected so many people, you know, that, and, and not just black people, it's affected so many people that I know and that that happened during this pandemic uh, where so many of us are in our homes and we're already deep in our feelings and, and we can't really turn away because we don't have anywhere to go. And all these things were happening and all of the emotion of all of that and trying to, as, as a black person in my workplace, it was like trying to like hold a lot of my black colleagues together but then also having to hear from white colleagues and, and other like non-black uh, colleagues about, about they were asking me about what to do or they were checking in on me about how I was doing and right. that that was its own different kind of dream um, and that experience. And then to get to August 23rd and it's like, this is more of the same. It feels yeah. like everything we did on the horizon was just more of it, but worse. Right. And this has all been at a time that's just felt like gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. And, you know, like John Lewis died, what, a month ago? Yeah, it seems um, so much longer. Yes. <laughs> you know? And you, you have all these things happening. You have this pandemic that's hurting black people and brown people and poor people the hardest you have everything that's going on in the political sphere, which we, I won't even try to get into right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but, and then like, you know, all this, all this stuff about the racial unrest, all this stuff about black lives matter going mainstream in a way that like, I never, I did not think I was going to see. Right. Um, you know, especially when you consider four years ago that, Colin Kaepernick was demonstrating during the national anthem and what a huge deal that became and, and how divisive that became. And then seeing so many people like decide like now to be like, Oh, there was only one side to be on with this. Yeah. yeah. And, and to see so many people gather together and say, we're like, we can't take this anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, at a time where it felt like the world was cracking apart. And, and then here we are again. And, you know, and, and so you started to see, you know, the wave of it sort of build up through the week. And then, uh, you know, you had the, the NBA players walk out and then, you know, that rippled across all the professional sports and I work in sports. So it was like, now I can't even escape it there. Um, because this is literally my job. Of course. Um, and, you know, and, and that those walkouts, if anything, were about bereavement. They were about just pain and just people who, and especially like the NBA players and like players who are in these bubbles right now where there's nothing else. Yeah. And their only connection to the outside world is through their phones. And now this is what's on their phones. Yeah. That's tough. Like, and they're already under all this pressure and all this strain. 
and being away from their families and all this stuff to just do a job and that yeah. they have to do this job or it's like financial ruin for all of them. Then all this happens and like they needed time to just like step away and process some things yeah. and then think about like, you know, what can we do from here to keep pushing this because we can't just keep playing with Black Lives Matter like written on the court and not say anything else. Right. You know, and even just the fact that that's on the court was like, wow, we really, that's really happening. Yeah. Like, like I'm still very much thrown by like all of it um, because I just didn't think that I would ever see that amount of acceptance of it. And, yeah. you know, even though like, hey, like there was only there was only one real side to be on. And, you know, so all of this is happening. That's my week of right. being in calls with friends and colleagues and just talking through our grief that seemed to build by the day. And then Friday night, it's just another gut punch that Chadwick Boseman is gone. And it's like, you're telling me the king is dead? Yeah. You're, you're telling me the king of Wakanda is dead. And like, I know he's an actor that wasn't real, but it felt real for all the reasons that we just talked about. Yeah. And, you know, not only was Black Panther in 2018 a phenomenon because it was the end of such a long wait for the big budget, super duper black superhero movie. Right. You know, we've, we've had other ones before, you know, and, and you can still argue that blade kind of kicked everything off from, for Marvel in the movies for sure in the way that, that led to them to getting here. Um, you know, because if that didn't work the way that it did, then the X-Men might not have gotten made. Absolutely. And then that might not have led to this, but this was no like this is the hundreds of millions of dollar budget movie. This right. is the the we're supposed to make a billion dollars movie, and to and it did, yeah, and it did, and you know with a majority black cast centered on black characters, like it wasn't just the end of that wait, you know, especially with Marvel because by that point we had we had been you know, nine years, you know, nine or 10 years into these movies right. and we hadn't gotten there yet. And, but it wasn't only that, it was just, the, it was also the fact that the movie itself was a masterpiece and that it dealt with all these different questions in the, the African diaspora of identity and history and legacy and like gender dynamics and all that sort of stuff. You know, when you consider you know, that in the movie, for example, on the gender side of it, all of the good guys, if they are not women themselves, they have women around. Yeah. And all the people who are adversaries to T'Challa, they discard women like Killmonger did. Yeah. Or they attack women like Killmonger did. Or uh, with like, Mbaku's character, when we first know him more as an adversary, you don't see the women of his community around. But right. when he joins T'Challa in the fight against Killmonger, you see his tribe's women there. Right. Or uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character 
that when he decides against T'Challa, Okoye does not go with him. Right. And is prepared to to strike him down in like a very uh the color purple <laughs> I love Harpo, you know I do, but I'll kill him dead. Right. And she was and he and like and he was like, You wouldn't kill me and she said, Yes I would. And you know, so just something like that, you know, it wrestled with all these issues, it wrestled with all these questions, and at the same time made Wakanda a real place to every corner of the world yes. to see it. Um, and when I started reading Black Panther comics 20 years ago, which would have been at the start of the Reginald Hudlin run, and uh, I think... Red, you know, is the start of that run and the Christopher Priest run, mm. and that they were the first black writers to ever write Black Panther comics, right? And that they tapped into what I saw immediately when I started reading those books, which was that Wakanda was this. It was this myth of what could have been with all of the many black nations of Africa right? had they never been tainted by colonialism and slavery. And, you know, if, if they had never been touched by white hands in the way that they were and their riches stolen from them, um, you know, and I, and I've studied like a, a fair amount about like different pieces of African history and especially the history before the slave trade mm. and, and just the effect that that had, on different places like the Congo, for example, like how many, how many men were lost. Right. And how that devastated so many different communities. And you think of, you know, when we think of like legends like El Dorado and the city of gold, like that started with the kingdom of Nubia and the Mm. trade that they had with medieval Europe. Right. Because there was so much gold there. Like it started with places like that. And Wakanda, the, the idea of Wakanda that they created you know, based on the stories of, of Stanley and Jack Kirby and Don McGregor, um, they dove even deeper into that idea, that, that, that idea of there being like this pristine, untouched Africa right. um, where we would have been, we would have been fine. And Ryan Coogler took that concept. He further textualized it into a film and and I think Kugler, one of Kugler's great strengths as a, as a director is that he's really good at creating sense of place in his movies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like even like watching Creed, his the Philadelphia that he showed, I never got to see on screen before. No. Like, you know, like it was like it was even it was wild even to watch a Rocky movie. And it's like, wait, like you're actually in like the black parts of town. And <laughs> yeah. this is the Philadelphia that I grew up in. And I'm finally seeing it. Like, even when you watch, like, a Philadelphia Eagles football game or something, and they always show, like, the same, like, two spots in Philadelphia. And it's like, but this city is 50% black. And, like, you are not showing any <laughs> black people in this city. Yeah. Like, this is not the city that I grew up in. This is not the city I know. Oh, no. um, but but Kugler created – he's so good at creating sense of place. And they worked really hard to make Wakanda feel like a real place that you could go visit that you could go see and touch and all of that meant something 
and it hit people in such a strong way to have all those themes come together in this masterful piece of filmmaking that also was a blockbuster action entertainment vehicle yeah, <laughs> with all of these great actors in like this, like almost like pan African cast yeah. of, of people, you know, that you had actors from Kenya, you had actors from South Africa, you had actors from America, you had actors from the Caribbean. Um, and they were all coming together to, essentially try to make the blackest movie ever made right and this is happening from a subsidiary of the walt disney company (laughs) yes like you know the the you mean the company that like makes like so little black themed stuff that like when uh when black lives matter went mainstream and disney plus like had to put their like black stories collective together <laughs> and i'm just like this is some of the most pathetic things yeah. that you can put together and like and that's not to say like some of the stuff is great like queen of cotway is great um but it's like historically you have so little of anything yeah you know that you should be proud of <laughs> you know you still don't sell song of the south in this country Oh, um, I know. And, they, and so, they put that on the platform initially, I believe. And then it got like, that was a news story everywhere that I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? It's like, it, it will never see the light of day again. It never will. No. Um, but, uh, you know, so all of these things happen. And so it's like for Chadwick to die and to die now, like not just to die at 43 years old right. of an illness we didn't know he had. And then for it to happen at this moment in time was just devastating to think of. Yeah. And I was lucky that the next day I had scheduled to do some yoga. So I did yoga with, uh, with my wife and it was great. And then I took part in what they call a healing circle Mm -hmm. where, and it was and it's a group of black men and we get together and we just talk through different issues that were going on in the week. And then we meditate. And obviously between Jacob Blake and Chadwick Boseman, the conversation was about grief and loss and bereavement. And how do you handle that? And especially in a world where you're kind of told that you can't do that, that there's no space for you to do that. Um, you know, and that, you know, and that space isn't allowed to black people or that space isn't allowed to heterosexual men or men in general. Right. Right. And so we, we talked through a lot of that and talked about, you know, things that happened in our lives and, and how we have dealt with grief before and how, how we're dealing with it now. And like, how do we, and for those of us that, feel like we're not doing this in a way that's healthy like how do you change that and that allowed for me to feel better and then you know I was able to have like a nice quiet Sunday where like you know I made brunch and I sat in a yard and I listened to music and just like talked to friends and that was nice um you know the friends were more than six feet apart so please everybody don't be triggered don't be COVID triggered (laughs) Um, cause that happens to me. Like I'll see like people's pictures. I'm like, what are you doing? No, no, oh, don't yeah. do that. Oh, um, no. you know, so, you know, that was great. But then like Monday came 
And then like, I had to talk to people at work about Chadwick. And then, you know, I, I wrote this piece about him and gathering all of my thoughts about it. And like, I had to use so much restraint to not just keep writing. And then after I finished, I, I had a, a pretty sad cry. It was pretty sad. And not just because of everything that he meant to so many people and seeing the outpouring of that grief that was in this like feedback loop of grief. Right. Because Chadwick and especially through T'Challa came to signify the best of us. Like what would the best of us be like? What would, an unflinching and unapologetic excellence that also welcomed everyone into its radiance and elevated everyone it touched. What he was that. And, and reading even more stories about him after his death and seeing even more things about him just said that this, this really was his character. You know, it was, you know, it was his character to play, to be T'Challa, but also that was within his own personal character to be this man and to look at all of the, the heritage and wealth of wisdom and also all of the terrible mistakes and blunders and blind spots and say, those are a part of us too. And we can do better than that. Right. Just like T'Challa did in the movie. Yeah. Which, you know, as someone who lost their father to cancer six years ago in August. So August is, is, a, is a bit of a, a shaky month for me. But to watch a movie where the son who's supposed to carry the mantle of the whole thing. And, and I am also a firstborn son. For him to be able to travel to this land of ancestors and to confront his father and to speak to his father one more time, which is basically the only thing that I would want is a tiny bit more time with my own father. Like that was so hard to, to watch Um, to the point where like I was listening to Ludwig, Ludwig Gordonson's score Mm. on Monday just like to get in the headspace while writing the piece and you know and it's a beautiful score um you know and and he's worked with Kugler throughout all of his other films and there's the music that they use for going into the the land of the ancestors and it's just this this very like interesting like lilt of of strings and like that was even hard to listen to. Yeah. And, you know, so, so to lose him and everything that he meant and everything that the Black Panther movie meant, and to also think about how there was so much more, there was so much more road to run for him, you know, had he had the time and, I haven't seen anybody make this parallel, but it's also interesting to think that this is also the the same year that Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash in January. Right. And 
like in, in, in Kobe Bryant means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't compare in, a, in, he doesn't compare to Chadwick to me in, in any like significant way, except that I think, you know, Kobe and, and, and Kobe is a very complicated figure who's got a lot of different issues. But I, to me, it always felt like a lot of Kobe's life was about reinvention and, and about like, how do I keep reinventing myself to have significance? Right. And that he was getting to a point in his life where you saw like the mentorship and all of the work that he did, like especially in like girls and women's basketball and all that sort of stuff. And that like he was on like a helicopter with his daughter and her teammates. Yeah. And they die in that crash. And it was like, was he, was this person who had already accomplished so much greatness, was he about to do even more that would have been more important than the things that got him to here? And with Chadwick, in this very short amount of time, he put together so much greatness, but it only felt like the beginning. I, I would say so. I, I would think because uh, you figure 42 is in 2013. So, I mean, it's really a, a seven year run of his notable film career. And, you know, obviously with some stuff before then, but it really took off then. And for, for what he had in production, as well as uh, you mentioned Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, and he already had uh, Defy Bloods, uh, which I know yes. you just watched recently uh, this year as well. It was going to be a pretty meaningful year for him. And I know, you know, the Black Panther stuff, I, you know, I think also given what's going on right now, just even small things that end up being bigger things, like just the symbolism of like the Wakanda with the arms crossed, like the, you know, the, yeah, the Wakanda salute, which uh, I mean, it, it's transcended the movie now. It's now become yeah. part of the culture. And, uh, you know, and like you said, it even is like integrated into the Black Lives Matter protest stuff. It It's it's gone farther than I think even he probably would admit that it, it did. Yeah. And that it didn't matter wherever he went, he would do the salute wherever he went, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, and if people saw him, he, he would give the salute and, you know, and it was just a, a beautiful thing to, to see. And it's just really sad to think that, you know, could we have had, what else could we have gotten? You know, like this is a guy who was supposed to be, you know, sitting with like a rainbow medallion around his neck in the balcony of the Kennedy Center yeah. 20 years from now. Yeah. And we're not going to get that. No. And I don't know, like, I can't speculate to his state of mind having, you know, going through this illness and, and continuing to work and just continuing to just keep going. But it never seemed like he was going to just stop. <laughs> you know? wow. And, uh, and, you know, and watching the five bloods has been, it was really interesting to see, you know, because in that, in that film, he essentially is playing a ghost who yeah. also is this repository of all of this like heritage and knowledge and insight and wisdom, you know, while also being essentially a perfect soldier in the middle of the Vietnam war, a war that like he doesn't want to fight. 
that he has no stake in, but he's very good at war. Right. And so, you know, he leads his, 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 uh, his compatriots to say, like, this is what we have to do because this is where we are. And the whole goal is to go home alive, all of us. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was amazing to watch that performance. And he was so radiant. And then, you know, there's, there's like a sequence in the film where he is like bathed in light. Mm. And it was almost like he didn't need it because he was that good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, you know, but it, it added this like religious, like otherworldly aspect to him. And, you know, that was, that was really, really special to see. And, and, you know, to see that in the five bloods and, and also, you know, for a movie that is like such an acting showcase, <laughs> like, especially for Delroy Lindo, of course. Yeah. And like seeing him like do all the things that he does in that movie. And you're like, this is at the time he was like a 66 year old man, like just yeah. out here, just wiling out. Um, and, and just giving you like all of the business of acting. And, yeah. you know, that was, that was quite a project to see. Yeah. And, and you noted how little Disney had uh, to kind of put through for their kind of like black lives matter or black stories collection. I mean, the one thing that I'm kind of, you know, proud to say at least uh, doing a Netflix centric podcast is that they, they had quite a collection uh, even yes. of their own materials. Obviously, they, they have just a, a certain amount of titles from other studios on hand because obviously they're, they're a collective. They're not just their own, but the stuff that they put out uh, themselves definitely speak to how much they, they care about the community, even between documentaries like the 13th, you know, 13th and, uh, you know, like we were just talking about the five bloods and and ma rainey's black bottom is going to be coming out hopefully later on in the year uh it seems like it's still on track i know the w one chadwick movie that definitely got uh taken out in all this was he was uh in production on yasuke i believe it's pronounced uh where he would play mm -hmm. basically a, a samurai of african-american descent uh, which I found wild yeah, and which, interesting. Oh, that would have been so dope. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when I read that, like I was Chadwick like, oh Boseman my God. is a samurai? <laughs> yeah. Like, of course he would play a samurai. Like, I know. Like, you know, like, it's almost like I could envision him, like, I can see it right now in my eyes of, like, him, like, on screen and, like, he just, like, breathes the air off like off a rice field and the ghost of Toshiro Mifune just goes into him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then there he is. And, yeah. you know, and just Chadwick had that quality of, it was like the ancestors spoke through him. It's like he knew that he was going to be one at some point. Yeah. And, and then you know, and so he would do the work that would show that, like, yes, I am also of this. I am from this. I am of this. And now he he is. He is, you know, too soon for us and, you know, and, and for his family. But he he did it. And, you know, I think of that line in, in what was it, Death, The High Cost of Living, the old uh, Neil Gaiman, mm, Sandman yeah. offshoots. And, 
and you know there, there's a at one point they follow death around and and you know and for those who don't know like death is personified as this like 19 year old goth girl with like yes. black hair and yes. and she goes around collecting souls and one of the souls she collects is is an infant and it's a crib death and when she takes when she picks up the baby and the baby speaks and says, is that all I get? And she said, you got a lifetime. That's what everyone gets. Right. And he got 43 years. That's all he got. But that's what he got. That was his life. And, but he, he did so much and he was so much. And, you know, one of the things that I, I left out of the column <laughs> because I said at some point I have to stop writing right. um, was that the shock of his death felt in some ways to me like in 1995 when Christopher Reeve was paralyzed in that, in the horse riding accident. Right. And it was just the shock of it. Like that can't happen to Superman. Because yeah. Reeve lived that part and, you know, and it, and it actually drew me to like read some more about Christopher Reeve's life. And even, you know, up to that point, he had done protests um, against the Pinochet government in Argentina and like saved lives, like actual lives. Yeah. Um, and that he you know, and, and even for something like Superman four, which is not a good movie at all. No. And, but but you know, but Reeve signed on to it with the idea of talking about nuclear uh denuclearization of the world. And that he saw playing the role of Superman as a means to change the world. Right. And that he understood the responsibility of playing this like upright, pure heart hero um, that can't be defeated because yeah. of what he believes in, not because of the powers. And Bozeman carried himself in a very similar way. And it was, you know, in, in like how he tackled the role of T'Challa, how he tackled his art and what he did off screen. And, you know, and, and Reeve went on for, he lived nine more years. And in that time became, you know, such a huge advocate for the spinal cord injured and, uh, you know, raised a lot of money for stem cell research. And there's still a research facility with his name on it. Yeah. And you know, Bozeman seemed to be going in that path so strongly and, it would have been amazing to see what else he would have accomplished. And we're not going to get to see that, but I think we're going to see down the line, we're going to see the fruit of what he laid down here. Yeah. We're definitely and, seeing the immediate impact now. And, you know, you're right. Uh, it's, it's a tough loss for a lot of different people. And I appreciate your article very much because it, as much as you were saying, you, you know, kind of got a good cry out of it to, to kind of process your own feelings through it. I think uh, it, your article will do a lot for, for other people like myself to also process this as well. 
So I thank, thank you, you for for writing that, and and I thank you for coming on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks for for having me, and that we got to talk about Chadwick and about all the great things he did, and and you know what he meant to a lot of different people, and what he meant to me, and uh, you know, and just how Wakanda became like the African diaspora's Camelot, and uh, and T'Challa is is therefore he's the Arthur, and Chadwick became T'Challa. Chadwick was an Arthur of sorts. He was a King Arthur. And if only, you know, there really were an Avalon where the being we know as Chadwick Boseman is waiting for us. He's waiting to come back. If, if, only, if only that were true. But in some ways, there are young actors who are at Howard now. There are actors who have not yet been born who will be there years from now. And Bozeman's name and his memory and his spirit will be in those halls alongside Ozzie Davis and Pearl Cleage and, and Amiri Baraka and Felicia Rashad and Denzel Washington and Spike Lee and, and, and all, of, all of that and, and many, many more people. And they will carry his name forward. They will carry his work forward. And so in that way, he will return to us. Well said, sir. A very beautiful message. Uh, everyone, I, I encourage you uh, to, to read his article on Forces of Geek. And obviously, you know, your, your long-running series of Blurred Vision. So I, I encourage anyone to go check out any of the past articles as well. Thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.